1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 19. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. After our service, there will be uh, coffee and tea, and please do continue those conversations and get to know one another. It's a joy to have you with us. The QR code is there. If you do have a device, scan it. Service outline's there. You can let us know who you are, how life is. We'd love to pray for you, get to know you more, so that's a great way of doing that. Growing up as a, as a boy, as a kid, I spent a lot of time at my neighbor's house next door, and he had a sister who was an artist, and their dad converted the back shed into an art studio, and she painted all over the walls, and this was in the mid-90s, and painted everything and and did lots of canvas art. But I remember um, going in there a few times to see what she was up to, and very friendly, and showed me all of her paints and stuff. And on the back door, as you walked in, you turn around, and you saw painted red... This saying, maybe you've heard this before, it says, two things cannot be cured, death and stupidity, on the back of the door. And I always laughed at that and thought, ha, 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 it was very funny. And over time, I've thought about that throughout the years. And I've come to realize, actually, that, that those two statements aren't as concrete as I once thought. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the toolbox. If you've known me for any length of time, you probably laughed at me for some reason. Um, But there is a book in the Bible called Proverbs. It's known as wisdom literature. And it gives me hope that I don't have to be as foolish as I often think I am. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, there's hope for me out of being foolish. 
Because I can know the God who made my life, who governs the fabric of time and space and my mind and my body, and I can spend time drinking deeply His wisdom, His grace from a humble position. Now, even if God's wisdom sometimes clashes with me, I realize being wise is not found in God agreeing with me, but when I align my heart and mind to Him, and I realize that actually I don't have to be as foolish as I often am. So that's pretty good news for me there. But what about death? Well, actually, that's what Easter Sunday is all about. It tells us that death for real life actually 100% has been cured the very moment Jesus physically for real life rose from the dead. One writer of the Bible we had in our Bible reading says this, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That is, if Easter isn't true, the whole Christian faith is useless. That's a pretty big, bold claim. Bigger than the red paint on the shed door I saw as a kid. And for the next few minutes, I just want to explore this, actually. I want to offer you four reasons why the resurrection of Jesus matters. And I do get it, though. Hanging your hope on the story of a man who rose from the dead is difficult to believe. But the evidence is historically good, widespread and credible. Ed Sanders from Duke University, who is not a Christian at all, says this, that Jesus' followers had resurrection experiences is, in my judgment, a fact. What the reality was that gave rise to the experiences, I do not know. And that's very typical of secular historians who study the life of Jesus. Something strange happened, they say, we're just not sure what. But you see, the resurrection has been part of the church's earliest statement of belief, that Jesus really did rise, he now sits with God in heaven at this moment and rules and reigns over all things. And just so you know as well, I love Jesus. And so I'm not asking you to think about something I don't believe or hold dear, but simply to hear what the Bible says today. To imagine with me that if this is wonderfully true, what that means for your hopes and your dreams, and what it would look like to stake your life on the resurrection of Jesus just like I do. So, I want to give you four brief reasons why the resurrection of Jesus, who is now ruling and reigning, gives us great hope. Firstly, is that we have a new life. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Put it simply, when Jesus died, we died with him. When he rose, we rose with him to a new life. A life that begins now and goes on forever. And it makes sense that Jesus had to rise to make it happen because eternal life is a bit too much to expect from a dead saviour. But of course, won't we still die? My kids love watching documentaries about deadly animals at the moment. And during our isolation when we had COVID a while ago, they watched one about poisonous snakes in Australia and this snake catcher went to find the five most poisonous so he could learn about them. And I thought he could just look at Wikipedia and that would be fine. But no, he had to go and pick them up and touch them and milk them and all of that. And in one scene, he's in Queensland and he's driving along the road telling us about snakes and he abruptly stops the car mid-sentence and jumps out and it's a dramatic scene and he runs across the dirt track because he sees a snake on the road 
And it turns out it wasn't a deadly snake, it's just a carpet python. And he picks it up, as you do, and he explained all about it and how it doesn't have fangs. There's no poison in this snake. But this python looks just like one of the deadly ones, bar these few markings here, but from a distance he thought it was a deadly snake. You see, just as that snake had no fangs, so too the resurrection of Jesus removes the sharp, poisonous fangs of death. We live our days bumping along the road of life, and one day our car will stop. But in front of us won't be a deadly snake with poison ready to strike. We'll walk past the beast. We'll walk on the path of life because Jesus passed through death and would gently bring us to himself. You see, life now, as fragile as it can be, can be filled with the hope that the best is yet to come. The road that Jesus sets us on says to us one day, there will be no more sin, there will be no more temptation, no more spiritual or physical weakness, no more shame, no more loss or chronic pain. As one writer of the Bible said, O death, where is your sting and your victory? It's gone. Oh yes, it will nip us and the physical will pass away. But it doesn't have to be the end. Death can't stand over us and claim the gold medal of your life. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus means death couldn't claim him. And it can't claim us if we trust him. Because his life becomes ours. Which means, secondly, that death has an obituary. O death, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase at the beginning, where, O death, is your victory, is the official obituary of death. We get to read it out. And we get to go on to say, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus. A poet by the name of George Herbert once said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel of Jesus makes him a gardener. That is, death will take us to the next phase of life, like going to Bunnings and getting that plant and bringing it home and taking it out the pot into the soil of your house. That's what it will be like for the Christian. But please, don't hear me wrong at this point. Death is sad, and it's horrific, and it's painful. And Jesus wept when his friend died. Jesus knows intimately what it's like to lose a loved one to death's cold grip, and you should weep and mourn and feel loss, because death hurts. But the resurrection of Jesus tells us at the same time, we face this with the one who's gone before us, who holds us, who weeps with us and wraps us in his arms in the face of all death. And we know that Jesus' resurrection reminds us that one day, in all the tears, you can say, I will read out death's obituary. It won't get the final word. Which brings us to the next hope of the resurrection, is that we will have a new body. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent... While we're in this tent, we groan, 
and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I don't much like camping, but my kids really do, and it's a problem. But they win. The best holidays for them have been camping in an old camper trailer, going up to the Flinders. I just don't like lumpy beds or dirt or being cold or not having coffee. None of that is relaxing. Take a week off, Luke, and go camping. No, thank you. I hate tents. And Paul, who wrote this, agrees with me. He was a tent maker by trade. He knows how fragile they are. Our first camping trip as a family, we planned it really well. Natasha was pregnant with number three, and the others were, were two and four. And we thought, let's go camping in June. Let's go camping at Handorf. And then we hit rain and cold. And we woke up at 1am because the tent hit us in the face with the water that was pulling. And then ducks came in. And then Charlotte, who was the oldest, went out and found mud and sat in the mud and put her blanket in the mud. It was a glorious mess. And we left that next morning because the tent actually did break. You know, Paul is saying here, the writer of this, that that is pretty much like our life, my camping trip. Vulnerable, temporary, can break under pressure. Your body and life is like a tent. But he contrasts the tent here with the physical, our physical life with an eternal building. You see, the perspective the resurrection gives us is that because Jesus was physically raised with a new body, we too will be given a new physical body, a tent to a building. But when you hear that, and you imagine a better body, lots of questions come at us. Will I have no more receding hairline? And will my eyes be fixed? No more glasses? Better running legs, perhaps, to finally get, you know, 5Ks in 15 minutes? Well, but when the Bible talks about this new body, it's not too interested in making us Instagram famous for eternity. The emphasis on a new body is not so much on the what, but on who this body is going to be for. In our verse, it says that mortal may be swallowed up in life. That means we'll have a body that's perfectly fit to live a new life with Jesus in a new creation. These bodies will be able to perfectly serve and glorify Jesus. There's a Christian lady by the name of Joni Erickson. She was paralyzed from the neck down and confined to a chair since a driving accident at 17 years old. She's now over 70. And she has said the first thing she plans to do with her new resurrected body is to fall down on her knees before Jesus in worship. And that's what makes her excited. Yes, there'll be upgrades to the current model. Lots of imperfection will be gone and you should long for that. But not just because you get to marvel at your muscles, but at the architect. The hope of the resurrection means that each day when you groan in your body, it's the sound of the morning alarm going off, waking you up, reminding you that one day you'll follow Jesus through death. You'll be given a new body, waking up to the fullness of life, no frustrations, able to gaze perfectly upon the one who went first and whose footsteps you follow. And when you do open your eyes, you'll have a real new body in a real new home. Which is my final point. The resurrection of Jesus gives us the promise of a new home. Jesus said, 
my father's house has many rooms, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? In the last few years, who have you had to make a makeshift room at home to work in because of lockdown and realized your house was not set up for that? You put a sheet in the living room to partition it. You brought out the camping table into the one room or the kitchen table disappeared overnight because of the stuff that you had to put out. You see, unlike our homes that groan under the pressure of living in them with no space or not what they're designed for, God never has that issue. Jesus assures his followers here that God's house, which here is reference to a whole new creation too, the place where God will rule and reign and walk with his people like in the Garden of Eden, this place will always have enough space. You don't have to worry that you won't fit in or you won't be welcomed in. That's the idea. You see, Jesus is making a bespoke family home for us. Family home. And the resurrection is the deposit you need for the place in which you will live with God. That's what Jesus says he has to leave to get the place ready. A place totally paid for, secured by Jesus. Not your deposit of good effort or kindness or love. But a family home. Living in the house of God. Giving death an obituary. With a newly minted body. Being God's people in God's place under God's loving rule and care. All thanks to our big brother Jesus, who really truly rose from the dead. And that's it. That's four reasons why the resurrection gives us hope, which means I'd say the writing that I saw on the wall as a kid, death can't be cured, isn't true anymore. Death has been cured in the resurrection of Jesus. Which means, what should my response be to that? Well, Jesus tells us. The beginning of his ministry and life on earth, he said, the time has come, Jesus said, he said. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Repent and believe the good news that Jesus lived and died and rose. Turn away from a life without Jesus. Trust that he is good and that the best is yet to come. Because of his resurrection, you can have hope for today and for all the days to come. And that's why I love Jesus. And that's why I'm so glad that he rose from the dead. And what we're going to do now is I'm going to just lead us in a, in a brief prayer. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song called Living Hope. Because Jesus rose, our faith is not in the dead saviour but in the resurrected, real-life Jesus who rules and reigns. Let me pray for us. Our great God, Jesus did not stay dead. For he died our death, taking your judgment and punishment. But he rose, giving us life and hope and joy and peace that the best is yet to come, that now in life we can follow you and be forgiven and that all we face, there is a God with us and for us because of Jesus. And we are so thankful for the resurrection. Father God, we repent from the way that we have lived not following you. We ask your forgiveness upon our life for our thoughts and deeds that have been far from you, for not loving you as we should or our neighbor as ourselves. We stake all our claim in this life upon Jesus and what he has done, our living hope. We give you thanks and praise, one God, now and forever.
Amen.